ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terramaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV damper with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Johnny Gallagher, welcome to ATV Talk, sir. Thank you so much, Lenny. It's uh, it's definitely good to be here. It's been a long time since I've uh, had the opportunity to speak with you and obviously see you and first time ever in this kind of a format like this. Well, it, it is a little different for, uh, well, you don't have any gray hair, but I, for a gray hair like me, Zoom meetings are totally unheard of. Uh, I do a lot of them with ATV Talk, but um, it's the fastest, easiest way that I can get to you guys. I, I can't get back there to see you live. So um, this is the next best thing. Yeah, obviously, you know, I mean, Zoom is, it's really kind of come to the forefront and, and these type of platforms of all different names, you know, it's uh, the last year has been wild and uh, it gives us an opportunity to speak essentially face to face with uh, technology. So I think it's uh, it's become commonplace for business and, and honestly, even personal conversations. So yeah, it's just becoming more and more normal every day. When you talk to sponsors or even, I know you help a lot of people out, how much time do you like ever use FaceTime or things like that to help somebody out, you know, where you can't be there and they're working on something or you want to show them something? Um, it, it just, it just helps so much. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny cause, um, FaceTime and, and now even zoom has become such a part of a daily thing. Um, like you said, I mean, helping somebody out, I've, obviously been wrenching on machines and and doing this for a long time. So sometimes you just want to show somebody and kind of want to physically get your finger in there and say, okay, right there is is what you need to touch. And you know, that eight millimeter that you see there, don't touch that one. Um, and it's just so much easier with FaceTime. Uh, you know, many years ago we would take pictures and draw little diagrams on text messages. And now you just FaceTime and it's like, you're, you're right here on their shoulder watching, watching what they're doing. So yeah, we use it all the time for stuff like that. Exactly. I really, uh, I really like it because it brings me in into my customer's garage and they feel a little better when they're showing you certain things and we're, we're talking about it, but, uh, well, well here today, you've brought yourself into, uh, my home away from home. This is, uh, 
my, uh, well, actually GBC Motorsports. Uh, this is our East Coast uh, event trailer, one of two East Coast event trailers that we have. And uh, it's kind of been my home since about January 3rd. I've uh, been on the road. And so catching you catching you live tonight, 930 uh, Eastern Monday after a GNCC. And um, here I am. This is this is home has been for uh, a little over three months and, and will continue to be for about the next month and a half. That's pretty cool. Um, when you finally do get home, uh, totally different when you left, it was cold and dreary, I'm assuming. Oh yeah. Very cold. Uh, snow on the ground. Um, I actually came out your way, uh, almost a month, I guess it was, it was about, yeah, a little over three weeks. Um, when I left home January 3rd, uh, made my way out to Utah to Coriolis's place and in, in St. George, Utah, and then on to California, um, to actually drop this trailer off to be rewrapped. And then uh, went to the works race in Lake Havasu, raced that, and then uh, back to pick up the trailer in California, drove, left from there to head to Florida to start uh, preseason training a, a little bit late uh, that compared to our normal schedule. But um, yeah, been, been on the road ever since. So when I left home, there was, uh, honestly, there's about two foot of snow on the ground when I left home. And, and by the time I make it back, it'll be uh, end of April. And, you know, it should be last week at home in Ohio, it was in the 60s and 70s. So uh, yeah, it's completely different, but that's pretty normal for me. I spend, uh, generally speaking from like Christmas day until last year with COVID, I actually didn't go back to Ohio until the middle of June. Um, so it was six months, uh, that I was, I was gone from home basically. That's incredible. And you get to see the the countryside and, and do a lot of cool stuff. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, it, a lot of people say it, but I truly do believe, uh, you know, I, I live the dream, man. I, when I was a young kid, all I ever wanted to do was ride four wheelers and, and travel and get to see cool stuff. And over the last, uh, well, 38 years of racing now, uh, I mean, I've seen literally the world I've traveled all over the world and all over the country. And, um, I'm just like Peter Pan, man. I don't want to grow up. I want to keep doing it as long as I can. I don't blame you, man. I, uh, I love it myself and, and have gotten to go places that you tell people you did what, where, and I go, yeah, it's really cool. And as a tourist, you'll never see what we see. No. Yeah. It's, it's totally different. I mean, the, the opportunities have been provided to me via ATV racing and the people that I've met. Um, you know, I have a, a lifetime of stories, a lifetime of experiences and, uh, it's, I, it, I don't know. Sometimes even to me, it just seems surreal. It's, it's wild. So I'm, I'm definitely very, very appreciative for it for sure. Well, before we get into this a little farther, I want to say thank you very much. I don't know if you're aware, but we're now on the same team. Uh, I'm a G GBC, uh, tire guy now as well, as far as they've come on to support ATV talk. And, um, I just really think that was pretty awesome that they took a chance on us and, um, became part of something I think that's going to grow into, um, a mainstay in our industry. Yeah, absolutely. I know, uh, Corey Ellis is a big, uh, big supporter of yours personally, um, and on behalf of, you know, his role at GBC and, uh, he was the one originally, I know that kind of linked us up and, and got us talking about doing this. And, um, I think it's great. You know, there's, this is a great platform. I know you've been around the sport and the industry a very long time you know, you're a very well-known, uh, reputable guy. And, and I think nobody better to kind of delve into all the people, personality, story, history, you know, and future of, of ATV and, and UTV racing and, and the sport as a whole, not just the racing side of it. Um, you know, the industry is fascinating and, and there's just so many interesting and 
very cool people in this industry. Uh, you, you, you've touched so much there because the people that I've met and became friends with that, if I didn't do this, I would have never gotten to meet them. Uh, from one of my good friends who lives in Poland, his name's Rafael Sonic, uh, to just the family at, at the works series, just from racing works, not, not counting all the people that I met back East when we were doing GNC. Uh, it, it's, it's incredible. I love the fact that you and I have probably haven't spoke in 10, 12 years. Yeah, probably. I would say. Okay. And we can start up a conversation instantly. Sure. Um, I spoke to Randy Dixon this morning at Randy Dinkins. Sorry. Um, and, uh, it was like yesterday. Yeah. It's probably been close to 20 some years that I hadn't spoke to him. So it, it's unreal. The, the, the group of people that we get to hang out with, um, what I wanted to do is, is I always like to go backwards in time, but I want you to uh, talk about um, last weekend before we do that. It looked like you had a pretty good showing. And uh, for a guy that's, that's, I think, racing his children, um, you're doing really well. Yeah. Um, this rate, this weekend, uh, this past weekend, uh, we raced in, Society Hill, South Carolina for the Camp Coker Bullet GNCC uh, round four of the 2021 series and um, ultimately ended up being a pretty decent weekend for me. It uh, didn't start off that way at all. Had a pretty poor start, was towards the back of the pack and uh, just struggled lap one early. And um, one of the things that I've found uh, here in recent years is, I, I you know, it's age has to be a factor. Um, it, it takes me longer to get warmed up. And, and this weekend I didn't, for some various reasons, I didn't have the opportunity to kind of do my full routine of, of getting myself, my brain and my body warmed up. So I was, I was kind of just, just lagging a little bit that first part of the first lap and struggling and ultimately led to me make a really poor line choice and, um, buried it and, uh, was just stuck uh, for well over a minute, um, which seems like an eternity, obviously, and just expended a whole bunch of energy getting myself unstuck. And by the time I got going, I was physically, uh, sixth, fifth or sixth in XC2. So I'd, you know, given up that time and track position and was behind, uh, the, the first pack of guys in that XC2 class. And ultimately, um, just kind of made the decision that, you know, I wasn't going to let that define my day. And I knew the conditions, it was hot. Uh, the track was incredibly rough. And, uh, you know, I, I made a social media post, which you may or may not have seen. And I just, um, you know, as I get older, I, I, I surely, I don't get any faster, but I know I do get tougher. And, uh, you just realize as you get older, things that you thought would stop you or kill you or derail you when you were younger, you realize when you get older, they're really not that big of a deal. So getting stuck and, and having a tough track and a hot day, I just really didn't let it affect me. I just put my head down and marched forward and, uh, kept making passes all day and was able to make up time and, um, you know, get back into a battle and, uh, didn't light the world on fire, but ended up uh, ninth in class and 10th overall. And that was actually my best se best finish so far the 2021 season and pretty happy with that and feel like it's a good, good, uh, building block to move forward into, into the rest of the season with. That being said, do you think, and, and this is from an outside point of view, totally. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but 
Do you not feel that this is one of the toughest groups that you had to race against? Because it seems to me that, I mean, no offense, Walker. I mean, the guy's phenomenal. He's awesome. And, and he's won three in a row, but if he bobbles, there's three yeah. guys or four guys that can take that win. No problem. Yeah. There's three or four guys that can take the win. And and honestly, even further back than that, like there's a group, you know, pretty much, um, this is the first time we've ever seen, like, um, there's been several races this year where the top 10, 12 or more guys in XC1 are the top 10, 12 or more overall, meaning, you know, that XC2 class, which is full, just jam packed, full of young talent, fast kids. Um, the XC1 class is just outpacing them right now. And, um, that's not, you know, and, and I may, may kind of, uh, this may come back to bite me, but I'm not goading those XC2 guys at all. They're flying they're going super fast, but, um, like this weekend, you know, I was physically back behind them and, I'm surely not a standout performer in XC1. And I was able to just put my head down and ultimately not only make that minute back of, of uh, time correction, but I think I ended up putting another four minutes on top of that on the, the eventual winner of the XC2 class. So um, that being said, I don't think that's taking anything away from that XC2 class. I think it just, a lot of people right now are talking about the depth of the XC1 class. It's, I mean, there's 15 guys in that class and right now consistently, and there's 15 guys that are just absolutely flying, um, conditionings there, you know, programs there, there's, there's 15 strong contenders right now that are all lining up on the front row. And man, I don't, I, I've been racing GNCC, the XC one class, or what is now called the XC one class, the pro class historically since, uh, yeah, 1994. And, uh, this is the, this is the tough, this is the toughest it's ever been for sure. It's overall, I mean, the depth, like you said, I look at, I look at the results and, um, doing what I do on the side here with ATV talk, I, I now check results for, um, because I've had Hunter Hart on and I've had, uh, Abney on. And so I start checking results and I'm talking with, I'm trying to get Josh uh, Merritt on and I'm trying to reach out to Walker Fowler. Um, I'm looking into all of these different formats. I'll help you. I'll help you make that. Pardon? I'll help you make that one happen. I'll, I'll, I'll go kidnap Walker. We'll get him on the show one way or another. <laughs> uh, that'd be great because um, I'm sure that he has some good insights on it. from your perspective, not, I don't want to get into the, to the Walker Fowler deal, but what sparked him from round one to now to, to, to go on a three race tear. Um, and it seems like he's just putting the hurt on. Um, I think there's a lot of factors there. Um, you know, and I think if, if you have the opportunity to have him on, I think he could expand on this a whole lot more, but, um, you know, I think the Walker that we saw at the end of 2020, uh, once the championship was wrapped up, um, he can go into it more, but obviously there was a well, a now well-documented injury, um, which there was a whole lot more complications. The injury itself was nothing serious. It was the complications that came along with the injury, um, that really kind of, put him on his back foot and, and put him kind of into a salvage mode for the end of 2020. Um, and since Walker started really dominantly winning in 2015, that's the first time we've seen Walker kind of on his back foot defending instead of on his front foot attacking. Um, so it kind of put him in a different mindset, a different situation. 
And uh, I think coming into round one, I'm going to be honest with you. I think Walker had a lot of questions in his mind about um, maybe where he stood, maybe what rider he was. And at round one, he didn't really ride that well for the first half of the race. And then uh, I think halfway through the race, he reminded himself, Hey man, I'm a six time champion and uh, I'm going to go get what's mine. And halfway through that race, he came alive and was able to, you know, run Bryson down. And, and that's to take absolutely nothing away from Bryson Neal because Bryson Neal is riding phenomenally right now. I mean, his speed, his strength, um, you know, I, I just think that uh, he and Walker are, are just, just the speed they're going and, and the, the skill that they're displaying week in and week out for people, anybody watching this, if you have not had the opportunity to get to a GNCC, um, do it and do it soon because these guys are putting on an absolute display and Cole Richardson, Jared McClure, you know, Chris Borch, Adam McGill, all those guys. I mean, there's, like I said, there's 15 guys or more that, uh, that I think the best way I had it explained to me is, uh, Ryan Smith, the owner of BNR Motorsports, he's been around GNCC forever. And at round one in, uh, um, at big buck, he, he said after the race, he, he actually said in a group message and to me personally, he said, you know, he said, Johnny, you, you finished 12th overall. He said, and when you came by me, he said, like the ground was shaking. Like I, I'm watching you go by and I'm like, no one's ever ridden a four wheeler that fast, but somehow 11 guys are beating him. And I, I think that really, and this is someone who's not like a fan of mine. Like this was his honest observation. And he's just like, the speed you guys are going is just dumb right now. Like I, I don't understand how this can be happening. And this is someone who's been involved in the sport virtually his whole life. So it's exciting for sure. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, Walker, Walker's definitely put on a, a show the last couple of races. And, uh, this past weekend in South Carolina, I knew, um, honestly, lap one, uh, I saw Bryson that had an issue. I knew Cole Richardson would be tough. Um, I guessed the top two before the race was over. Like before I finished, I, I knew in my head who barring mechanical issues, I knew who, who one and two were, and I was right. Um, and I, I predicted that in my mind, I predicted Walker would probably win by a couple minutes, um, just because his physical conditioning and his determination are just so intense right now. Um, yeah, I think it was a minute 40 is what he won by, but yeah, they're Bryson and Walker are just kind of on another planet right now. I was pretty impressed to see Adam up there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Adam, you know, if you've seen Adam, uh, he doesn't really talk about it much, but he looks lean and mean, man. Um, you know, I think he worked pretty hard in this off season. And, uh, you know, I know he has had some, uh, really close finishes there. I think he was fourth, two of the first three races. And then obviously had that, uh, DNF at, at, at the one race, but, uh, you know, it's, um, for him to get on the podium, you know, that's, that's impressive because there's a lot of young, fast talent and, um, Adam, Adam still wants it. You know, he's getting up there in the years, but he still wants it and he proved he can do it. Yeah, I was, I was impressed. I, I haven't got to, I had a good long phone conversation with him, but I haven't got to get him to sit down across from me and, uh, and talk racing yet. Um, but, but, but he said he will, and I know he will, it's just getting him on his schedule and his terms to, uh, to do it. Um, kind of like most, most everybody. He's got, he's got some good stories for sure. Oh, you guys all do. Okay. That being said, given me some great insight on, on the XC guys. And, and, um, I love your perspective. That's, you know, you don't get the depth that you have like that very often. So that's, it's, it's so awesome that you are able to almost write the script for the year 
just in the way you gave me the analogy there. So it's pretty awesome. Well, you know, and, and one thing I'll say before we like go any further and, and get into, like you said, the backstory, the current, all that. Um, one reason I was excited to do this is, um, you know, that racing is my life. Um, obviously I've been a professional racer, professional athlete for, uh, this is my 27th season now. Um, but I've been a lifelong rabid fan of ATV racing and still am like I race I'm out there, you know, I, obviously I, I want to be writing the script, but at the same time I'm following it. Like, you know, just like every other fan out there. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of Walker Fowler, of Bryce Neal, of Adam McGill, because I know what it takes, you know, at least to a lesser degree to, to try to be in their shoes. So I know how much work they're putting in. I know how much, I know the sacrifices they're making and, and, uh, the challenges that they face. So it's exciting for me. And, and I'm a fan of, of, you know, ATV motocross. I mean, Chad, we a close friend, um, you know, Joel Hetrick, I'm, I'm in awe of his speed at times, like, um, and going back, I mean, as you well know, you know, I was a GNCC guy, but I just loved coming to the ATV motocrosses and TTs and competing, um, when I was able to, and, and fortunate to have those opportunities and, um, race, you know, pace stadium stuff. And, uh, raced internationally. And, you know, I, I've just got to do so much. I'm, I'm a fan, I'm a competitor, but I'm also a huge fan of racing. I, I totally feel that because I was never the caliber of rider that, that you are. Um, I love to race, but I had to race at a lower level because I just, I, I, I can do things in testing facilities or in testing environment that rivals some of those guys but it's just for a fleeting moment, you know, never going to, never going to be that guy. Um, but we, we did some stuff at our old location and the pros would watch me test their machines and shake their head and go, nah, you go right on ahead. I'm not going to do that. And, and it was a lot of fun, but it was just a test track. It wasn't a, it wasn't there to, we weren't going to go racing. And if we were racing, they'd figure out how to wax me, but that's neither here nor there. Um, being a fan, that's why ATV talk started because nobody's telling your story, your story, Johnny Gallagher, nobody's telling it. Nobody's telling any of the stories, you know, I'm sure Bill balance has a story to tell. Where's he at? Who's talking to him? Who's reaching in his pocket and asking him for his story? You know, I am, if I can get a hold of him, I'll get him on here and I'll get his story. You know, Barry sure. Hawk, some of these, these old time greats that, uh, you know, and balance isn't that far out of the the realm of being a champion, you know, and I want all of them. And I want even the guys that aren't the champions to come and talk to me because the impact stories, like you're telling me right now, you're getting to see the racing as you're racing a bird's eye view and telling the story. And it's, it's so amazing. And I appreciate it. It's so much. You have no idea. Well, I appreciate the opportunity for sure. I want to talk Johnny Gallagher old school. How did all this start for you? Um, a long time ago. (laughs) You remember way back then? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, so this all started for me. Um, the very beginning of, of my, um, addiction to ATV racing and and ATVs in general started, uh, for my fifth birthday. Uh, my dad got me a 
1978 ATC 73 wheeler Honda. Um, ultimately I believe he wanted to get me a dirt bike, but my mom wouldn't have it. Uh, my dad raced, my dad raced dirt bikes from before I was born. Um, not long before I was born, he started racing. Um, but he had been racing a short time when I was born and I'm sure I know that he wanted to get me a dirt bike, but he figured a three wheeler was a kind of a, it kept mom satisfied, seemed a little safer. You know, I, the plan originally wasn't for me to race. Um, it was just for me to have something to ride. And then he figured probably eventually I would transition into dirt bikes. Um, ultimately mom wouldn't have that. Uh, she didn't want me on two wheels. She saw the injuries my dad had and, uh, go figure. She felt three wheelers were safer. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we got through on the loophole and, uh, for my fifth birthday, I got that ATC 70, um, started racing it, um, right away, pretty much just, you know, local stuff for fun. Um, and ironically, and I don't know that I've ever told this story. Um, my first ever race, I actually withdrew. Um, I was scared. Uh, my dad took me, it was a fair cross race. The Medina County fairgrounds, uh, would have been, um, 1984, I believe. So I'd have been six. I'd had my three wheeler for, um, not even a year yet. And, uh, yeah, I, I got there. Dad signed me up and I went out there and I saw the grandstands and all the people and I started crying and I was like, I, I don't want to do this, dad. I'm scared. And, uh, he made me go up and, and tell the promoter who I still know to this day, um, that I was too scared and I wanted my money back. <laughs> so, uh, or I wanted my dad's money back. So that was my first ever race that didn't happen. And then, uh, you know, soon after, I think within a couple of weeks, we went and raced a local hair scramble and, and I, you know, made it through the race. I, I don't, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't remember my first race. I, I don't know what the outcome was. I have some trophies. I have some, you know, firsts and seconds and thirds from that year, but I don't, I do know my first actual race that I was supposed to race. I withdrew from and didn't race. Um, so that was not a good start, uh, to my racing career, but, uh, it didn't do anything to dissuade my love for ATVs. Um, I just loved it. I loved riding them. And, uh, so yeah, from there started racing locals. Um, we had a great local series in Ohio called the competition riders of America CRA still around to this day. Um, back then they raced, uh, it was 50 weekends a year. Uh, there was a CRA hair scramble race back then. Um, yeah, it was wild. You could race every weekend, um, except for Christmas. And I believe Easter was the other one that we didn't race, but, um, so yeah, uh, raced all the, that stuff. And then um, my dad had raced the hundred miler series, which then became the grand national cross country series a few years off and on, uh, on two wheels on the bike side of things. And in, uh, 1990, they decided to have a youth, uh, class. And so I was doing very well. I was, I had won a lot of championships in the local CRA stuff on, um, you know, on, on both three and four wheels by that point. I was racing the Suzuki LT 80 and this would have been 1990. And, uh, so we decided to go to, my dad was racing the GNCC. So we decided to go a day early and, uh, I would race on Saturdays and then he would race on Sunday. And, uh, they had seven youth rounds that year and, uh, I won all seven. Um, so that's kind of my Walker follower, great friend of mine. And, uh, for many, many years, they would talk about how in 2004, he won the first ever GNCC youth race. And in 2005, he won the first ever complete championship because for a long time, youth racing went away from GNCC and the people that were in place had forgotten that, uh, there was actually two years, uh, in 1990 and 1991, there was youth ATV racing and I won the championship in 1990. And, uh, um, 
Jason Sloan, Bob Sloan's son, won it in 1991. I didn't race it the next year. I was too old, I think, or or maybe I moved up to bigger bikes and just didn't race GNCCs that year. But either way, um, so I actually won the first ever youth GNCC championship in in 1990. Still have the and I have the plaques and and the uh, the overall championship plaque to prove it. Um, so someday I'm going to present Walker with that. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. So, um, won that championship. And, uh, as you know, back then there was, there was a, um, what Steve Nessel from Yamaha today would call the, the, uh, largest quantum leap in, um, vehicle size history. I was racing an LT 80 and the next machine that I could really race was a, was a Honda 250 X. Um, unless I wanted to go to two stroke and race 250 yards, so that was a huge gap. And I was 13 years old. So I, I wasn't technically supposed to race a 250 until I was 16. Um, but dad didn't really see a point in continuing to race the youth stuff because I was, you know, just winning all the time and it was expensive and we were just tearing up machines. And so, um, I actually got a 250 X and for two years, uh, just raced at home. Um, actually it was one year. And then, uh, and my mom knows this story now, so I can tell it. Um, I raced for a year under a fake name that my mom did not know I was racing because I was not old enough. And my mom did not want me racing. Once I came off of youth, she, she felt that youth was it. She didn't want me to go to big quads. She felt it was too dangerous. My dad agreed, lied. And, uh, (laughs) we raced under a fake name for a year. Um, she actually didn't find that out until my dad passed away in 2009. Uh, she didn't think it was nearly as funny when, when I first told her the story as, as she thinks it is now. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, so that would have been 1992. And then, um, in 93, we started doing the whole GNCC series and, uh, obviously racing two strokes and two fifty hours, uh, and I've been doing the GNCCs every, every year and every race since then. Um, it's been it's been an amazing ride. You know, like we talked about, met so many people and have, have really seen the sport progress throughout those years. Um, you know, saw it kind of rise and then kind of start to fall again. And, and crazy it is to say it's now very much back on the, on the rise, especially, um, with GNCCs and, and the East coast stuff. Uh, it's crazy the last couple of years, uh, the increase in entry entries and, and numbers. And, um, we'll just hope that more manufacturers get back involved and, um, we see the kind of boom that we did from say 2004 to, to 2009. I'd like to see that. I, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, but, uh, it, I think there might be another manufactured machine coming. I just don't see the factories coming back yeah. to promote it. I think that the, they'll, if it's Honda, like I think it's going to be, it will generate sales on its own just because of the name. Sure. You yeah. know? I mean, yeah. I, and I, you know, awesome. and this is a, this is obviously a shameless plug, but, um, you know, I, I can't say enough about Yamaha continuing to support sport quads and, and the sport right. of ATV racing when, when they have no need to, I mean, they have the only machine, they have the market cornered, everyone's riding them. You know, we saw obviously a, a massive shift this year, even in ATV motocross, which has historically been, um, you know, a Honda dominated venue, maybe not necessarily in terms of results. Obviously Chad is, won the lion's share of the championships the last several years. But, you know, if you look at the pro class, there was way more Hondas than there were Yamahas. And, and finally people have realized, and, you know, to those of you guys watching at home, um, this is me speaking freely as, as myself, this is not on behalf of Yamaha. I I mean, it's been proven. You, you just can't compete on, on anything else, but Yamaha anymore on a grand scale. 
Um, you know, it's just too expensive. The parts aren't as available. The technology is too far behind. So that's why, I mean, I would love to see Honda come back out with a bike, but right now their guys are just, they're, they're fighting, they're fighting a losing battle if you're trying to ride anything, but a Yamaha. And that's, I mean, it's factually proven at this point. Yeah, there's, that is a great platform. Um, on the West coast, it's not near as it's not the, the, the Yamaha is not near as dominant. Um, but on, uh, I definitely think in the, the GNC and the GNCC, um, you do have some legitimate, you, you know, I'm never gonna, I'm never going to concede a hundred percent, but you sure, do no, it, legitimate fact. That's not a, that's not a dig at Honda. That that's like the Honda was a great platform and still is. It's just without the advancement, you know, and, and without the availability of, of parts, so, so many of these guys are you know, they're trying to buy Craigslist bikes and, and refurb them to go race when, you know, even at an amateur level a guy can go buy a brand new Yamaha off the showroom floor. And you're starting with a brand new platform that puts you so much. I'm not, I'm not saying that bike for bike, it's a better bike. I'm saying a brand new Yamaha is, is going to offer you a better platform to start from than a Craigslist Honda. That That's kind totally, of what I'm getting at. Totally believe that. Yep. I, I see, I even see the guys that are taking their Yamahas that are still good and trying to take the older stuff and keep using it because it hasn't changed. Yeah. And they don't seem to realize it's only good so long. And now the nickel and diamonds are starting. I mean, if you take and you try to race a, an 09 Yamaha, it's still an 09. Yep. It's, it's yeah. how many years old? You, you, you know, you don't find the garage Honda that's brand new very often, you know, and it's, it's, it's a shame. Uh, we found, um, 2014, um, last year or the beginning of 19 garaged never ran. Oh, wow. I mean, it's brand new bike. Great white Buffalo. Yeah. Brand new bike, you know, uh, put some mods on it and sold it to a young, ga- young gal to go ride in the dunes. Yeah, that's, that's a great place for it. It'll stay pristine there much longer than it would. If you gave it to say Bo Baron to go race works races with it. I hate get a couple of seasons out of it. And then when it went away, when he sold it, it wouldn't look anything like, like it does now, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, but no, I, uh, you know, I would love to see some manufacturers, even if it's not, at a, at a support level, I would love to see some more manufacturers offer a competitive, competitive 450 competitive sport quad. Cause I think it, it would obviously interject a, a whole lot more. I mean, it's so easy for someone to get into sport quad racing. If they can go to the dealership and buy a brand new machine, knowing nothing about it. And, uh, you know, that that's just sight unseen. That's the best gateway to bringing new eyes, new fans, new participants into the sport is to be able to go into a dealership, a, you know, a, a retail friendly environment. You know, you're not, you're not buying a used machine. And and obviously we all know, and, and Lenny from obviously your background with Duncan racing and everything that you do, the aftermarket for sure, it has been the backbone of, of ATV racing for decades and will continue to be, but the OEMs drive the new people coming into the sport. And without that fresh blood, it's, it, it, it gets harder and harder and harder for the sport to even maintain itself, let alone grow. Right. I agree with that. I was talking to somebody a few shows ago, how cool would it be for KTM to come out with a KTM Husky and a 
gas, gas, and a gas, gas. Yeah. You'd be all the same bike, but still you'd have three different manufacturers on the line with Yamaha. So there'd be four total, you know, and if they would just look at the Yamaha and just take some of their ingenuity, they could make a bike that, that equals it or betters it with the technology they have. I mean, and granted, I'm not a, I'm not one of those guys that jumps out in this world. that's a KTM fan. Um, I'm not yeah, I, uh, sure. I, I'm all for any manufacturer that, you know, with, with a pedigree and, and a reputation like KTM, gas, gas, Husky, Honda, Kawasaki, Suzuki, um, anybody that's proven, you know, to be able to make performance off-road machinery. I, I welcome them to the venue of sport quads. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I personally wouldn't choose a KTM, uh, based upon I've owned KTMs, dirt bikes, and, uh, actually a very close friend of mine, uh, who is the current WXC, uh, champion on bikes, um, spent three years working with, with the KTM team and they're phenomenal people. Um, they're great dirt bikes. Um, they just wouldn't be my choice. Uh, I, there's every, everybody has their own personal preference. And for me, um, you know, I, I'm just, the Japanese bikes are built so robust and, and the amount of, uh, and this is across the board, like Suzuki, Honda, Kawasaki, Yamaha. Um, I mean, I've seen them all and their standards, as far as durability, in my opinion, this isn't a slam. This is just an observation far and away exceed KTM Husky and gas gas. Those machines are built to be, this is the best way I explained it to somebody recently the, the big four Japanese brands are Clydesdale horses. You can't break them. If you try, if you do basic maintenance to them, they're indestructible. KTMs, gas, gases, and Husqvarna's are thoroughbred race horses. You look at it sideways, it's going to break its leg. You know, it, it's going to have all kinds of issues with the slightest little miscue. Um, but when they're at their best, they're hard to beat. That's a pretty good analogy. You know, that is, that really is. Um, I've, I've wrenched on a lot of machines over the years. <laughs> well, I've spent a little time with the KTM stuff and, um, it's nowhere near what Honda Yamaha produce. The, the durability know, the is just not. for the longevity of life. It's just not there. And I think that they have some fantastic ingenuity. They come up with some things that, that, that I think the Jap guys should almost look at but they get three quarters of the way there and it's super cool. And then they do something with a cooling system and you scratch your head going, what, why, why, yeah. what, what were, what were you thinking? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you've, you've seen it all, especially yep. on the TV stuff. I, I just was scratching my head the whole time. Yeah. I, I don't know what you were thinking, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I wanted to, you know, I, I know it's been a few years, but, uh, I didn't know about your dad and, and I'm sorry about that. And I, I know that that, that sore probably never gets healed. Yeah. I mean, I, I obviously it was, a uh, it was completely unexpected. It was an accident in 2009. Um, but, uh, I don't, I, I'm not sad. About, I, I mean, I'm obviously, of course I'm sad to lose yeah. my dad, but, um, I had my dad for 31 years, uh, learned so much from him so many awesome experiences and, and got to race with, you know, literally with him on the track for years and, and travel to the races with him. And, uh, you know, I, I guess the best way I explain it to people is, um, I wouldn't be the man I am today, the racer. I am the human I am today, if it wasn't for my dad. And I kind of like the guy I am. So, um, I think he did a great job. My mom as well, obviously. So 
as much as I would love is love to have my dad here, you know, sitting right here with me right now. Um, I'm, I'm super happy and, and appreciative to have had him for the time I had him for sure. I got to spend some time with him. <laughs> he was a character. I got to spend some time with him at Polaris. Oh yeah. Yep. You remember that? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. He, uh, he, he really enjoyed his relationship with them. And, uh, you know, it's pretty cool that, uh, you know, obviously kind of all kinds of things going through my head, but you know, for my dad who didn't even really race four wheelers, he, he, I mean, he did, but he didn't start racing four wheelers until basically I turned pro and it was getting to be too difficult for him, uh, for us to do the GNCCs and me race on Saturday him race on Sunday on a bike. And then I was missing out on the opportunity because back then we used to leave the gene. A lot of the guys used to leave the GNCCs on Saturday and go to race local or regional stuff on Sundays. And he felt like I was missing out on that opportunity, um, to better myself. And so he was like, Hey, I'm going to start racing a quad so we can race on the same day. So he just started racing one of my practice bikes, gave up on dirt bikes, started racing quads and won. I honestly don't even know Lenny. He won a lot of championships on ATVs in any age classes in the 45 plus class, 40 plus originally, then 45 plus, and then, uh, and then 50 plus and 55 plus as, as he got older. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really cool. Um, and he, uh, you know, just, just a couple guys from Ohio. I'm just a kid from Ohio. They got lucky and, you know, he was kind of tagging along for the ride in a way, but really the driving force behind it for me for, for many, many years. And for him to end up in, uh, you know, uh, Minnesota at Polaris to, to have an opportunity to meet somebody like you is such a legend in the ATV industry. And, um, for you guys to get to hang out, like we talked about, it's, it's been a long, strange trip for sure. Brother, there was nothing about the, the level of him getting to meet me. It was me getting to meet him. <laughs> well, I can assure you he didn't feel that way because well, I, mean, I, I, I do. And, and when we were back there and he's teaching me about the, the, the Polaris and we're talking about, and we're throwing back all of our different ideas. And I, I you probably heard this story. You might've heard it a little differently. You might even have heard it from me. The, the only thing that threw me off about the whole deal is when the engineers came out to talk to us, I was the only guy standing at the machine. Everybody else had stepped back. You know, my own guy, Doug Eichner, he stepped back too. So I'm standing there and, and, and I got these three young engineers that probably just barely got out of diapers. And they go, you know, I go, who's got the pad and paper? And they said, for what? And I go, you got to make a list. You got to fix all these things before we can go race it. And I thought they were going to string me up right then because that's not exactly how I said it, but um, yeah. And, and everybody behind me is like, Oh, he didn't just do that. Did he? Hey, sometimes you gotta, you gotta go straight to the, uh, you gotta go straight to the source. And um, you know, it's as you, as you well know, Lenny, there's a big difference between what works on an engineering, you know, program versus what works in the real world. And, and those guys, you and I probably couldn't put into mass production, um, a lot of the ideas that they have, but when it comes to fine tuning and making them ready, ready for the racetrack, we have a lifetime of experience that they could only hope to someday be able to tap into, which is why so many of the factories like Polaris, you know, it, it, Yamaha now Honda in the past, and, and even on the motorcycle side, they rely on their racing departments to 
relay some of that information to help them better with their, with their production products. So, um, but yeah, I know my dad really enjoyed his time working with Polaris and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the stuff that he got to do. And, um, it was, it was pretty cool. I know, uh, he really enjoyed it. And, and I, I thought it was pretty cool that, um, like I said, he started only started racing ATVs to kind of help me out and, and ultimately ended up leading to a factory ride for himself and, and getting to work directly with the manufacturer, which I know he really took pride in that. And it was, dude, you can't, you can't take a shake a stick at that. That's, that's an accomplishment and, uh, something that I would be very, very proud of as well. I mean, and I was honored to have uh, got to spend the time with him and you know, you, when you're, when you're there in the moment, you don't realize it. Yeah. You know, you don't, and for, for me, I've got to do a lot of cool things that I didn't know were that cool. And until years later, you know, and, and not to kind of hijack that, but, um, this kind of leads into a conversation I actually had just two days ago. Um, some, a good friend of mine had said that they were talking to someone that I don't want to name drop or, or mention anyone. We've actually already talked about this person, but, um, or they've been mentioned, I should say, um, you know, they were talking about how sometimes maybe people have success and, and, they get so caught up in being in the, in the moment and, and working and, and driving and, and, you know, just kind of so focused on it that they don't really even realize what they're doing. And, and I mean that not that they don't realize what they're doing. They don't realize the significance of what they're doing. And, uh, I kind of took a step back after that conversation and, and I've long said, Jason Wigan, um, I'm sure you know who he is. A, um, you know, he, he does a lot of the commentating for the GNCC stuff and is, is very well known, uh, journalist in, in the ATV or in the motocross and supercross world. And he wrote an article a few years ago talking about guys like Ricky Carmichael and Chad Reed and, um, you know, Jeremy McGrath and, and all these guys, how at the pinnacle of their success, they don't get to enjoy it because they're so hyper-focused on their next win, their next deal, their next, whatever. And they're so hyper scrutinized over everything that they say and everything that they do because they're in the public eye that they really don't even enjoy it until after it's over. And then they can look back on it. Some of them can and enjoy it. And, uh, I remember reading that article a few years ago and I, and I really kind of took that to heart coming into 2021 and my mantra, my focus for 2021 has been have fun. Um, like I want, I want to, I want to do well. I want to win if I can, I want to be in the top five. I want to be battling for podiums. I want all those things more so maybe than I ever have, but more than anything, I want to have fun because this has been such an amazing ride. And in a situation, a setting like this, where we're talking about it, like it's easy for me to think back and and kind of like enjoy it in the moment and, and talk about all the stuff that happened back then. But this year and, and going forward in my career, however much longer it lasts, which can't be much longer. Um, I'm really focusing on enjoying each race and each day and each experience in that moment when possible, because I think that's something that, uh, more of us should try to do, not just in racing, but in life, like live, truly live in the moment and enjoy these amazing experiences and, and conversations and people and races and sights and sounds and, and everything goes with life. I totally agree with you. I mean, uh, I've had more than one career in, in my career. 
Uh, and what I mean by that is when you've dealt, uh, I was Doug Eichner's mechanic for 13 years. I got to work with Mike Sloan for a number of years. I got to work with a Baja guy named Craig Christie for a number of years. Um, I, I've worked with the, the, the Simmons who won best in the desert for three years. And, and those are all little mini careers all in themselves, because you well know that when you go and start developing a program and, and start building machines, you're focused 1000% on that. And you don't see anything going on, but that, and you miss, you know, you miss so many things in life. And, and I hope that you do adhere to your rule and have fun and get to enjoy it because I remember winning races and jumping up and down for 30 seconds, loading the trailer and heading somewhere else. Yep. And, yep. and writing notes the whole time and getting ready to prep that bike. When as soon as that trailer stopped, that bike was coming out and getting prepped because we had another race or we had a, an event in a week or a week and a half. And I had to rebuild an engine or get the shock serviced or you know, there's no time to, there's no time to breathe. Yep. No. And, and two things to go along with what you just said. Um, and you hit the nail on the head, like, you know, you, you celebrate jump up and down for 30 seconds and then you're so focused on, all right, we got to get this bike washed and prepped and, you know, we're racing somewhere halfway around the world in five days or whatever it may be. And, um, yes, those are important things. And, and you need to, obviously when you have a schedule, you got to stick to it when you have goals, those things, you know, those goals are not going to achieve themselves. You have to work to get there, but, you know, being truly present in that moment, enjoying it for what it is and, and kind of letting it sink in beyond just a, a quick celebration, I think is, is a big part of, um, of what I'm trying to do right now. And, and I think that's come because of my relationship with some younger riders and, and seeing how, they reacted to things and, and from the outside looking in being like, man, you know, these guys, they don't realize what they're doing right now. They don't realize how significant this is. They don't realize how huge this is. And they're focused on all the right wrong things. And then kind of taking a step back. And my, my big thing at the end of last year, last year was weird, man. Let's be honest. I mean, <laughs> it was just such a weird year. Like, let's just talk it, it openly and honestly here. It was weird. So it gave us some time to think about things and, um, I started looking at the world as differently people differently, not bad, just differently. And I developed what I call a drone's eye view of things. Um, take my personal feelings out of things, take my biases and my biases and my preconceived notions away from things and really just pretend I'm a drone, just kind of flying over a situation and, and just view it for what it is without expecting anything from it. And I did that with my life and, uh, I'm pretty happy. I'm not going to lie. Um, my life is pretty awesome, but there's some things that I think I've really been missing the mark on. And, and one of those is, um, you know, I spent my whole life wanting to do exactly what I'm doing, but so much of it, I was taking for granted and I wasn't enjoying and I wasn't making the most of, and, and now I'm really trying to do that. Not, not just racing, but you know, the opportunity to be in this industry um, that has been afforded to me. I just want to make the most of it. I, I mean, I don't see an end for me in terms of being involved in the industry and being a part of ATV racing and the ATV industry as a whole, but the racing part of it, me personally racing at the highest level, yes, it will come to an end. So, um, you know, I, I, the first four races this year, I've really like, I've enjoyed myself, man. And, and 
three of those four races were brutally rough and just beat you mentally and physically. And I was just kind of smiling under my helmet out there. Like, man, I'm not going to get to do this forever, but right now I'm in this like small fraction of a percentile of people who are sick, demented and twisted enough to enjoy this. So <laughs> I'm, I'm really going to enjoy it because to go out there and do that and, and, uh, you know, inflict that kind of pain and suffering on yourself of your own free will and, and say that not only do I want to do this, but I want to do it a little bit harder to try and catch that guy in front of me. Who's also suffering. Like it, it takes a sick, twisted individual to want to compete at the highest level in anything. And, and GNCC racing, ATV racing in general is, is no different. So, um, it's cool. I'm, I'm enjoying it. And, uh, I don't know. I, I think the writing's on the wall. I, I can't go forever. I mean, I'm 43 and, um, but I don't want to look back with any regrets. And, and so far I don't like, uh, it, it's been an awesome career. And, um, yeah, let me stop you right there. Let me stop you right there. Let me put a little perspective on this for you. Bo Barron's 40 years old mm-hmm. and on the West coast in his, in his world, I don't think there's anybody better. Mike Sloan is incredibly flat, fast, incredibly fast, probably faster than Bo, but hasn't mastered the skill set. Sure. Davey Hagsmith is coming back, a former champion who you know is super fast. Sure. He's coming back. So Bo's going to have a little to deal with him. There's some younger guys that are still trying to get their feet wet in the pro class. Doug Eichner was 43, 44 years old, winning championships. Okay. The guys that you're still not too old. So you're 43, but you're still a kid. You look young. Your, your, your physical fitness is excellent. Um, Don't let somebody on the outside tell you that you're too old. You make that decision on your own because I, what I see is I still see a top 10 guy, top five guy on a great day and a really good day, a podium guy. Yeah, no. And, and I don't like, it's not any kind of outside influence. I mean, if I listen to what the world thought or or what a lot of people think I, I should have retired 15 years ago, you know? Um, but I, but I do what I want to do and, and, uh, I've been having a blast and, um, but I, I do know, and, you know, and I, I had the opportunity to speak with, uh, with Bo, um, actually at the end of last season, at the end of 2020, I was at the final side-by-side round of works racing at, uh, prim, uh, and he was there racing the side-by-side and basically made a comment that based upon a lot of things, um, he was going to come back kind of with a vengeance in 2021. And he was going to make some changes in his program. He was really going to start training harder riding. He had some younger kids that he was working with that had kind of motivated him to want to, you know, really work hard. And, uh, I mean, I think if you look at the results in 2021, it's showing, um, I mean, he's, he's, he's killing it, man. He's, he's doing awesome. And, uh, I think definitely, um, you know, there's more I could do for sure. Um, but I also know kind of where my body's at. Um, I, I've been fortunate to not have a ton of injuries through my career, but I have had some, and, you know, as you get older, as you know, um, those, those kind of sustained 
and prolonged injuries kind of start to stack up. So I have to, yes, I still train for sure, but I have to train differently and I have to prepare myself differently. I can't just go out and grind myself into the dirt day in and day in and day out on the quad. Um, I have to do a little more off the bike training, cycling, that kind of stuff to try to stay fit because the repetitive riding is, is just hard on my wrists. Um, you know, I never had back problems through my entire career, but now I've been having some upper back and, and neck problems based on, you know, some crashes and sustained injuries sustained over the years. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not putting an expiration date on my career by any means, but, and maybe I shouldn't use age, but I know it can't last forever. And it's right. gone on for, for 27 years as a professional at this point. And, um, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I, I think that's right up there in terms of, length of professional ATV racing careers, regardless of age. Um, you know, it, it's just a lot of wear and tear on a body. And I don't want to be in a position where when I'm, you know, 65, I'm, you know, decrepit and can't walk. And right now I still get around pretty well. Um, I can still do what I want to do and I'm not in a lot of pain day to day. So we're going to kind of keep taking all that into consideration year to year. And, and based on how much longer we go, um, it's but I'm, I'm, on, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Up on um, I feel, I feel great right now. Um, but I actually did a lot less riding and a lot less training coming into 2021. Um, for a lot of reasons, part of it, knowing kind of where my body was at and also where my, where my head was at. I just needed a break. Um, I love racing. I love, I love the industry. I love the sport, but, um, towards the end of last season, just again, it was a weird year. Um, I was kind of burned out at the end of the season. Um, just kind of felt like I was, I was pushing against the wall and just not getting anywhere. So took some time. And and when I came out West, actually I was, I was out West a few times, um, kind of fell in love with like Utah and mountain biking out West. And so I did a lot of pedaling, but it wasn't for training. It was just to like see cool stuff when mountain biking in Colorado and all over Utah and, um, you know, it was just an awesome opportunity. So I was staying active, but, um, I definitely wasn't on the bike like I normally am. So I was a little behind the eight ball at the beginning of the season. So, um, the results are starting to get a little better round around. And, uh, I'd like to think that coming up here soon, maybe we'll see that top five, Johnny, that you talked about there a moment ago. I think we will. I really do. You have so much knowledge in, in the sport that you, that you love and that you're active in. I can't see you not there's, there's gotta be situations every race that, that you come up against that those young guys haven't seen, or they don't know how to react to them. Like getting stuck on the first lap, you know, they, they lose their composure and it takes them another lap to, to get it back. And it's too late at that point. Sure. You can yeah, and, and we're ready to go. I think, you know, I think that's the one thing that, uh, that the only way you can learn is, is through experiences, um, you know, to try and keep a level head. Um, and that's why somebody like Walker, you know, is, is, is so dangerous because, you know, Walker's 28 now, not a spring chicken, but also surely not over the hill, but you know, he's been racing at the highest level since he was 17. Um, so he has 11 years of, of racing at the highest level and he has 11 years of experience, which, yeah, that may not be the same as 27, but that's a lot. And that's a lot of races that he's battled for wins. So, you know, I think going back to what we were talking about earlier, that's kind of what separates him from his competition right now. Like Bryce and Neil Cole Richardson, those guys are phenomenally fast. They're fit. They've got great bikes. They've got great programs, 
but Walker's experience level of making decisions that literally make the difference between first and second place, you know, he's made all the wrong ones over the years. And Chris Borich benefited from how many of those to add to his tally of now 75 wins. How many of those wins were Walker Fowler wins coming to the finish on the last lap? And Chris made the right call. Walker made the wrong call. Well, as you well know, whether it be in racing, life, business, whatever it is, the hardest way, the only real way to learn is to do it the hard way, which is to do it wrong and figure out that's not the way to do it. So you do it right from there. So right now, you know, Bryson Neal, Cole Richardson, a lot of these guys are learning these lessons at the expense of wins for themselves. And Walker Fowler is the benefactor, if you will. Oh, totally. And, and that's where his experience comes in and, and he's probably still got a couple of years to go with, with their, their teaching, you know, um, if you, if they follow him long enough, eventually they will beat the teacher. Sure. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you know, Bill balance, uh, ultimately, well, Barry retired obviously when Barry was dominant, but you know, you could see, you could see Bill closing in on Barry and every year we get closer, closer. And, um, I've, I've often said, you know, and this isn't a popular opinion, especially amongst the racers themselves, but you know, Bill was faster than Barry for quite some time before he actually won a championship. Um, there's no question that Chris was considerably faster than Bill speed wise for many, many years before he actually won that championship in 2009. Um, Walker, you know, on paper was faster than Chris. I wouldn't say for many years, but, um, would show bursts of speed that were more than what Chris could handle for a few years before he actually won his first championship in 2015. Um, I would, I would argue, um, and I don't even think that Walker would argue back that right now, Bryce and Neil Cole Richardson probably both have more outright sprint speed at times than, than Walker would care to use. But what I'm starting to see now, because I work pretty closely with Walker, is um, I don't necessarily know, and, and maybe this was the same with Chris, maybe this was the same with Bill, maybe this was the same with Barry way back then. I don't know that it's Walker can't go as fast as they're going, or that he just knows it can't be done consistently. So he sets the bar at a level that he knows can be maintained for two hours. 13 times a year. And if, you know, Bryson or Cole are able to go over that line and beat him on occasion, he's playing the odds and knows that the speed that he's going is going to win enough races two two hours, 13 times a year to win a championship. I bet you that's more like it than, than the altar because for them to maintain the speed that they can go even for a two hour race is highly unlikely. Yep. You know? and, and that the equipment stays together. I mean, that's another thing altogether is not a big factor as it is in motocross, but specifically well, how many ATCs. races, how many races did, did they, did, did Walker lose because he overrode the bike? Uh, zero. <laughs> I mean, in the old days. Oh, Oh, sure. Um, I don't know. Walker has always been pretty good about not tearing up equipment. Um, but he put himself in bad situations, you know, either getting stuck or making mistakes. Um, I'd have to go back. I'm sure 
I can honestly only think of, man, there might be others, but I can only think of two Walker DNFs in, in, in history that I can think of. And one, um, I'm sure there's been more, but the two that I can think of, one was a, uh, a faulty ignition map that they had. He and Taylor Kaiser, when they were teammates, both blew up within like a hundred yards of each other on a track. Uh, and this is going all the way back to, I think, 2011. 2011 or 2012. Um, and then, uh, the other would be, um, two years ago at Ironman when, when he plugged the kicker battery into itself and exploded the battery, uh, after he flooded the bike out in the Creek. So that was his mistake. Um, and he had a huge lead. So Walker, Walker pretty much gave away Ironman 2019 Hunter Hart. That was his, that was his first win and he surely earned it, but you know, Walker was checked out and gone. So to answer your question, I guess one is how many races Walker has given away due to his errant, errant mistakes riding and, and ultimately breaking the machine. Um, and then, uh, in a run of, you know, if you go back to 2000, what 15, when he started winning championships. So in, in six, six plus years, we're half, you know, four races into another season, seventh season and one, one mechanical caused by him doing something stupid. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And he probably right after he did it, he probably knew before he could, yeah. save it. you know, before yeah. he could save it. Oh, that was wrong. Oops. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Oh man. That's unbelievable. <clears throat> um, I know we've talked a lot of the past. We've talked to some future. Um, we've talked a little bit of industry. Um, l- let's delve into the industry thing with sponsors. Um, where do you see the sponsor thing going and, and what's going to carry our sport through the future if the factories aren't going to be there? Uh, I think right now, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, that the aftermarket has been kind of the backbone of ATV racing for, for many years. I mean, going all the way back to the eighties really. Um, and I think this crazy year that we had in 2020 has been a, a real shot in the arm for a lot of companies in this industry. Um, not just racing, but recreation as well. Um, I mean, sales are through the roof for a lot of companies and, and now, you know, I work very closely with a lot of companies in the industry and, and the biggest challenge pretty much everybody's having right now is, is trying to get enough product built, you know, packaged and shipped to get to customers. Um, there's so many people that are enthused about, ATV riding and even racing right now that, um, you know, the aftermarket, the accessory manufacturers have all seen, not all, but the vast majority of these companies have seen unprecedented growth in sales numbers in the last 12 months. Um, so I think that's good for the sport. I, I don't think, I know that's good for the sport of ATV racing in the short term. Um, obviously none of us, Lenny, none of us have crystal balls. We don't know what's going to happen with everything that's going on in the world around us. Um, you know, we've seen so many crazy things happen in the last 12 months. I, I think a lot of people are fearful or at least, um, cautiously optimistic about what's going to happen in the next, in the coming months and years. Um, but I think it's interjected a lot of capital and a lot of new enthusiasts into the sport of ATV racing and riding. So I think that's going to continue to sustain, um, the industry for the short term, at least. Um, long-term again, to circle back, I think that obviously having more manufacturer involvement 
in more machines available would, would ultimately be best. But, um, I, I think there's a lot of companies that are driving always with new, new products and, and improving their current, uh, roster of products to, to keep fresh new things coming the way of enthusiasts. And, um, I mean, it's man, the ATV industry is resilient. I mean, think about it, you know, you, you've been a part of this your whole life and, um, the, the people that ride race and recreate on ATVs are some of the most, uh, determined and resilient people in the world. And they just refuse to be told like, Hey, your sport needs to go away. Um, they, they take that almost as a, you know, just kind of like a little flick in the ear, like, yeah, you can't stop us. Like we're, we're just going to keep making new parts. We're going to keep making what we have better. And we're going to keep drawing new eyes and, and new enthusiasts into our sport because it's exciting. It's fun. It's wholesome fun for the whole family. And, uh, yeah, it, it it's just going to keep, keep growing. And, um, as much as I'd like to say thrive, um, I don't know that I would say thrive, but, but I think at least in the short term, I can honestly say, I think, I don't think I know. I mean, the numbers support that ATV riding and ATV racing is on the up. It's growing. It's not just surviving. It's, it's actually growing. Yes. I think since, uh, end of 19, before the COVID hit, I believe that there was an upswing. And then during the COVID, I think people fell in love with their ATVs and they're off-roading again. Yep. People fell in love with outside and, and yes. And, and ATV racing, ATV riding, racing, recreating is a big part of outside and it's been great for the sport. And, uh, I love seeing it makes, makes me happy. Yeah. When people put their phone down and looked up went, Oh wow. Really? And yeah. saw their There's, quad sitting in the garage, yeah. you know, um, they either started restoring them or riding them and, uh, companies like ours, we're making old products again. We're making new products. Um, the developments back We're we're building at such a rate. Um, we can't even keep up. We can't even keep track of it. It's, it's growing so fast. And, and I'm a little leery and my brother's a sure. little leery. We've been around a long time. You, you there is a, there is a break, you know, at oh, yeah. some point the break, somebody's going to put the brakes on. Oh yeah. And, and I think, I think you would be short-sighted not to see that, but then I think back to, you know, as you well know, I'm, we, we've talked a lot about racing and, and that's been my, you know, uh, a huge part of my life. But, uh, in the last 10 years, I've, I've been a lot more involved in the business end of ATV racing and, and these companies than I have even just going out there and twisting the throttle myself. Um, I'm fortunate to have had a lifetime of knowledge, not only of, of ATVs and racing, but of being an ATV enthusiast. So I think something that, uh, I learned or, or experienced along the way has become valuable to so many of the companies that I work with, like, uh, GBC and Yamaha and fly and HMF. And so many of these companies have kind of tapped me to be everything. I mean, my, my job title and, and the hat that I wear, you know, varies by day, but, um, essentially I'm an independent contractor for all of those companies and work with, um, you know, their sales departments, their marketing departments, their development departments to continue to develop products and do the best that we can to send the message of those products to the consumer. Um, and this past year has just been so crazy that 
I, I can remember vividly, well, I guess we're, it's still March, obviously, but barely, but I can remember this time last year, um, is when things were obviously kind of at their worst, but two weeks from now, you know, mid, mid April, as you well know, things were starting to just like sales were shooting up and everybody's like, Oh, well, it's, it's income tax returns. Oh, well, it's the stimulus. Oh, well, it's that we got to be cautious. We got to be cautious. We don't want to order too much. We don't want to build too much. We don't want to ramp up too much because we don't want to be sitting on this stuff. Things are going to tank. We're in the middle of a pandemic, a global pandemic. Well, here we are a year later and that curve is still on the increase for a lot of companies, most companies. So yes, we need to be, in my opinion, we need to be cautious, but at the same time, we don't want to leave these sales on the table. So a lot of companies are doing everything that they can, as you said, you know, building as much as they can, you are building as much as you can, doing as much as you can to, to try to keep up. One of the problems you biggest, one of the or two of the biggest problems you face is manpower and materials. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we, can't, we can't get either um, in abundance. Well, and, and that's a whole nother discussion. I mean, we're we're gonna we're gonna shift gears and go into politics if we go too far. But everybody, all of the the you know, I don't even know what the word is. All of the drama that you see on the news every day, um, and it's real. I, of course, all of it is real. But the things that people are pushing on and the hot button topics to me are not the real issue. The real issue that's that's going on here in the world is the interruption of the supply chain yep. globally across the board for for businesses for essential items not just for recreation not just for the ATV industry everything but the everything. the price of yeah the price of building materials and that's all coming back to the interruption of the supply chain that started March 15th 2020 when things were forced to be shut down and whatever whatever and regardless of what anyone's position is on um, the coronavirus or the steps being taken to combat, which I, of course, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I have seen uh, family members of mine very close to me have been uh, sick, very sick. The coronavirus is very real. This is not a political standpoint, regardless of how you feel about it and what's been done. The the impact that it has had on business, the supply chain, and the basic necessities of life is being far underreported and undervalued by the media and by most people. It's it's been crazy, and and so many so many companies, so many people, so many organizations are working day and night to try and correct it. But I, I think we're a long ways in the distance off from being back to even keel. I agree. I agree. You're. You're a hundred percent right on that. And, uh, I don't even want to get into the political portion of it, but sure. No, that's, 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 this is ATV talk. We'll, we'll talk about that on Talk. Yeah. We're not going to, we're not going to go there because that, all of that is just, yeah, it's mind boggling and gives me a headache. Absolutely. Johnny, as I do with, with, with everybody, I want to extend an invitation to you to come back and sit with me and, and talk with me some more. We, we touched on so many little different avenues of your life and your career that I don't think that we are getting the full impact of you. And so what I want to do is I want to extend that invitation to you to come back and get a little bit more specific about things that you've done and talk about just certain moments in your life so that you could elaborate on those for the fans. Um, because I know you have a, a, a huge fan base of people that, that 
watch you as well as people like myself in the industry that have known you for years and known of your career um, and enjoy the success that you're having um, at your age. I mean, I, I'm sorry. It's, it's awesome that you're 43 years old, you're still doing it and you're still doing it at a high level. And guys like me that can't do it anymore, appreciate it. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to come on Lenny and I would love to come back anytime you'll have me. Um, I'd love to come back and talk some more. And um, I guess just to kind of maybe drop a, a teaser for if there is a future episode, um, you know, just to sum things up for me again, appreciate the opportunity to be on loved having the opportunity to talk to you about so many things from past, present, future. Um, but I think to sum me up and, and like I said, maybe teasing in the next episode, I'm a pretty simple guy, man. Um, something bit me when I was young with ATVs. Uh, when I saw my first one, I was just like, man, I got to have one of those. It wasn't about racing. It was just, that thing is cool. And, uh, most people grow out of their hobbies and their, you know, boyhood dreams and fantasies. And to me, man, this is, this is like, this is my astronaut fireman. Um, you know, everything that I ever wanted to be was an ATV racer. And, you know, all these years later to still be living that dream. Um, I've said this before and I'll say it again, cause it's the truth. Um, this sport, this industry has given me everything. It's given me a life. It's given me opportunities and, and, uh, you know, experiences beyond my wildest dreams. And I honestly say that if when I was, you know, five years old to 15 years old, the craziest things I could have dreamt up, I've done so much beyond that and been afforded so many opportunities that are tenfold wilder, crazier, more enjoyable and, and more rewarding than I ever could have dreamed. So, um, I'll continue to give back to this sport and this industry for until there's no breath left in my lungs, because I owe it that. And, uh, I, I can only hope that, you know, someday 43 years from now, some, you know, young, not so young man is, is on a show with, you know, some descendant of yours or, or you yourself 43 years from now, you know, um, talking about how they've had the same opportunities and, and I'll continue to do everything I can to open doors for, for the next generation behind me. Brother, I hope I'm around in that, in that many years and I hope I'm coherent. <laughs> same. Absolutely. You know, uh, Hey, I'm a 54 year old adolescent. I've never grown up and I'm never going to. Hey, I'm 43. And, uh, I, I'm, I, some days I swear I'm not a day over 17. Um, I might've grown into an adult and I'm responsible. Um, you know, I take care of those. I, I, I need to take care of including myself and uh, I pay my bills and you know, all those adult like things, but in up here and, and in here, I'm still a kid, man. And, uh, I love it. Dude, I get to work on toys for a living. <laughs> I get to play with toys for a living. <laughs> how, I mean, how cool is that? Right. It's, it's, it's the greatest thing ever, man. And, and to see the joy, um, to me, there's just something so special about, um, seeing somebody, whether it be win their first race or, or even just ride an ATV for the first time. Um, you know, I, I've had, I've been blessed with the opportunity to work with so many young riders. Um, when I say work with, I mean, not in like a capacity, a capacity of they're paying me to train them or something like that. Just, you know, you meet these people, they're new to the sport. You kind of give them a little advice. And next thing you know, they're kind of under your wing, you know, and, and, and they're kind of watching you and you're watching them. And, um, it's always funny to me, you know, when I have younger riders 
or their parents come up and, and thank me because to me, like I need to thank them because they're what keeps all in perspective for me. Um, they would keep me driving. You know, when you see that, that fire, that, that, that pure joy that, a that a new rider, a new racer has, um, that's what keeps me going, man. That that's, uh, it's like, I'm along for the ride with them. You know, they, they think that they're learning something from me, but it's really the other way around. Giving back is, is way more rewarding in my opinion. hundred percent. And like I said, I'll, I'll continue to, this sport has afforded me so much that, uh, uh, there's nothing, there's no way that I could ever give back everything, but I'm sure going to try. I hear you, man. I hear you, Johnny. Thank you for coming on ATV talk. Um, I will be reaching out to you again. Um, please look for that call. Um, maybe we can get a chat going with you and a couple of the other cross country guys. I, I do chats where uh, I get uh, uh, like tomorrow. Uh, there's an old timer chat from the seventies and eighties guys, uh, Mike Coe and uh, Tracy Dixon and Jim Babbitt. And, you know, these guys raced hardtail three wheelers into yep. The 250Rs. Um, and am they, I showing? Am I showing my age because I know who at least a few of those guys are and remember reading about them in dirt wheels? <laughs> uh, a little bit, but that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Um, but if you could get a couple of the uh, cross country guys together and we do the same kind of format where we just yeah. start talking, and um, you know, I want everybody to know this is not scripted. No. No, I, there was no, there was no pre-call. We just, uh, like you said at the beginning, we hadn't talked in, you know, 10 to 12 years, uh, and we just rolled right into it. So no, I've, uh, I've got some ideas rolling around in my head. I, I think it'd be cool if we get a couple of guys on here and tell some old stories, some new stories, and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep in touch for sure. I, I think we can make something cool. Uh, I'm in, let's do this brother. You have a great night. And, and I will, uh, be back in touch with you directly. Cause I'm going to need some things from you. Sounds good. I'll look forward to it. Thanks guys. That was awesome, sir. Yeah. My that pleasure, awesome. man. Very cool. Um, I'm going to need a couple things from you, sure. uh, some photos. Yep. If you could, I don't know if you have my email, but I'll email you. Yep. I think I did email you. Yeah. You sent me the link to this. Yep. Okay. Uh, I just need some photos that I can, uh, I can uh, post. I don't need them right away. Uh, And I'll need videos from you when it gets ready to air your episode. Um, I don't know if you're aware of what happened today. I don't know that I am. Professional racer, Michelle Jenkins passed away. I actually, I had heard that she was not doing well and likely was not going to make it. I didn't know she had officially passed away, but yes, her her husband had to turn it off. Yeah, that's terrible. So, um, I, I don't know. I got to meet her because of ATV talk. Mm -hmm. Wasn't for that. I would have never known who she was. And, uh, you know, I got to spend three hours of her life and, uh, and she was a pretty amazing gal. Yeah, I, I knew Michelle. Um, she was fairly local to me. Didn't didn't live too far from me. Um, so I've I've obviously known her for many years. We weren't close, but um, you know, anytime somebody, you know, anytime so anyone passes away, it's tragic. But obviously, somebody in the ATV community. Um, you know, I know she uh, she was 
you know, thought of, um, highly by a lot of, a lot of riders, uh, younger females, especially. And, um, you know, it's, uh, Lenny, as you well know, that is the ugly, ugly part of what we do, uh, or one of, but, you know, to me, the ugliest is, um, you know, injuries happen and, and sometimes, you know, people pay the ultimate price and it, it sucks, man. Um, I definitely, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that I've, I'm callous to it because I'm not like I'm gutted for, you know, obviously her family and her husband. Um, but you know, I, I just look at things a little differently. Like I, I full well know the risks I'm taking and, uh, wouldn't have it any other way. Of course, I don't want to get injured. Nobody does. And I don't want to put my family or anybody else through that. But, you know, as we just talked for however long we talked for the experiences and the, the people mm-hmm. you meet, um, you know, those far and away outweigh even the ultimate price. If I ultimately have to someday pay it. She didn't, she didn't fear it. Yeah. You know, in the conversation that I had with her, she knew very well that at any given moment, her number could be punched because she jumps as big as the boys and didn't, wasn't concerned. And, you know, and at 47 years old, she should have retired, but yeah. You know, I had a, I had an hour long conversation with Andrea Berger, the, uh, the champ Mm -hmm. that affected her quite a bit. And I met her through you talk as well. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just kind of a shitty deal. Yeah, no, it is. And especially, you know, from what I understand, um, what little I've seen or or heard about it, you know, it sounds like it was a pretty, um, pretty quick thing. Like, you know, she crashed, there was some, I don't know what day she crashed, but I know it was within the last couple of days. And then they said there was some, yeah, some pretty, uh, pretty intense swelling. And, uh, ultimately they, you know, obviously came to the conclusion that there was, uh, no activity there and she was just on life support. So that, you know, that sucks for sure. Um, so and thoughts, thoughts are definitely with her, her, her loved ones. Cause that's, that's brutal, man. I've, I've been through it, unfortunately. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a fun thing. Uh, yay. My grandson's great uncle was Jeremy Lusk. Oh, really? Yeah. So my first year in Dakar, when I came home, that's what I came home to. Yeah. You know, granted I wasn't super close with him, but yeah, it's just, you know, Bob Sloan, Randy Howard. I mean, you know, these. Sure. Well, I, you know, and this is not, you know, not something that, uh, I, I like to really broadcast, but, uh, I was not the very first one, but I was one of the first three or so people um, to come up on Bob after he crashed. Um, I still have paint chips from his helmet visor, um, from where he crashed. I went, I went back that night, you know, cause we stayed, uh, my dad was still racing dirt bikes at the time. Um, and I just couldn't wrap my head. And at that point we didn't even know that he'd passed away. Like we just knew that he was in very serious condition. Um, and I think that was kind of a, in a lot of ways, that was a defining moment for me. You remember Kim Coonley. Um, I, I don't know if I really, I'm sure I've told the story, but not too many people. Um, a few weeks after Bob passed away, um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to race anymore. Um, you know, as a 16 year old kid, 
seems a pretty normal thought. You know, I, you, you just saw the Iron Man um, ultimately find out that he wasn't made iron. And, you know, here I am, a 125-pound, 16-year-old kid. Like, if Bob Sloan, that could happen to him, then why would I want to continue to do this? Like, this is real dumb. And uh, I went and I was had just started driving by myself. Um, just got my license not much before that. My dad was like, why don't you take a ride over Kim Coonley's house? He wants to talk to you. And uh, I sat in Kim's garage with him. He lived real close to us, just 15 minutes away. And I uh, sat in Kim's garage with him for probably like an hour that night. And we talked about nothing. And then finally he just said, Hey, your dad told me that, you know, you're thinking about maybe not racing anymore. And, um, you know, I told him, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just doesn't seem like a smart thing to do. And, uh, he said, well, he said, let me tell you something. This is paraphrased, but basically what he said is, you know, like you said, when, when your numbers punch, there's not a damn thing you can do about it, but racing four wheelers is likely going to put you in a situation where eventually you're going to get injured or potentially worse. Like, that's just the facts, man. That's, this is dangerous what we do, but if you love it and that's what you want to do, then don't let anybody tell you that you shouldn't because you can't live your life afraid. So you'll miss out on everything if you're afraid of everything. And, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately he didn't tell me like, Hey, you should race. And neither did my dad, but I just, as a 16 year old kid, I remember thinking like, man, I love the feeling of being on my ATV and racing. And, um, I think I made that decision right then and there. And all these years later, I've stuck to it. And, um, I stand, I stand behind that. Like if, if tomorrow's my day, no regrets. Dude, I do some stupid shit testing quads. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And, well, I mean, and and you know, we got this drag freaking bike in the shop right now that'll probably do 100 miles an hour, and I'm I'm scared to death of it. Yeah, I, there's just zero reason to ride the thing. Yeah, and we're out there freaking doing starts and 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 you know, clutch dumps with it just to see what it'll do. And yeah. my brother's over there laughing his ass off. And I'm shaking my head the whole time. I go, why am I doing this? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we all, you know, yeah. I mean, conventional wisdom says you should avoid things that, you know, potentially put you in harm's way. And there's a, there's a line for everyone. And I think everyone should, should operate within the parameters of, of what they're okay with. I don't think anyone, you know, if you don't want to do something, don't do it. Um, and that goes beyond just racing in general, you know, like safety wise, but I think some of us were just kind of born to live a little closer to the edge. Like, man, man, I'm not, again, I'm not downplaying what happened. I mean, that's horrible. Um, but you know, she, what she experienced in her years of racing and riding ATVs, you know, had, had she have not done any of it what would her life have been? I don't know. I mean, maybe it would have been great, but I think, you know, I, I doubt that she'd have any regrets. That's what I told Andrea. I said, do you really think that if she was here today, that she'd let you have the emotions you're having? No, she'd no. kick you in the ass and yep. tell you to get out there and ride or get ready because you have a race coming and to stop yep. this. Yep. 100%. I, and that's, 
you know, I, uh, yeah, you know, you mentioned my dad earlier when we were talking and sometimes like, I think, and I've had it, people actually ask me like, well, do you feel like you repress like emotions about your dad's passing? And I'm like, no, I've dealt, I've dealt with them all. Like I was incredibly sad. I, I cried, you know, I, I asked, I asked why, you know, this isn't fair. Like I just processed them maybe a little more quickly than most people do. And ultimately came to the conclusion of we're all going to pass away at some point. And to me, the length of life isn't as important as the quality of, of life and, 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 and the, the life lived more than the years lived. And, you know, I know, I can honestly say that I don't believe my dad would have had any regrets. So I'm sure not going to have any for him. Like, I don't think that's fair of me to place my regrets on him and wish he would have done things differently or ask why, like, that's just me. Like everyone should grieve and, and deal with things in their own way. But my way is I'd rather celebrate, you know, the life that my dad lived and the time that we had together rather than dwell on the fact that that ended quick, more quickly than I had thought it would. If so. we knew our expiration date, that would, all we would do is worry about that day coming. Sure. You know, it's better to not know. Better to not know. Because yeah. it could end tomorrow. Yep. Live, enjoy it. Do, do cool things like call and talk ATVs with, you know, a legend such as yourself. Like, yeah, man, I don't, I don't pass too many opportunities. I, you know, especially cool ones like this. I, I'm all about it. Like I, you know, I want to live in the moment and, uh, you know, as far as Michelle goes, I, again, uh, you know, I, I don't have any regrets for her. Um, but I of course feel, you know, empathy and sympathy for her family and, um, you know, cause that, that sucks. And, and that's the only part when I think about me someday passing is like, you know, not that I think about it often, obviously that's pretty morbid, but you know, I just try to keep my affairs in order and, and things pretty simple so that, you know, if it happens, it's, it's less, uh, less taxing on those I care about. Um, because other than that, you know, I, I won't have any regrets. Right. <laughs> yeah. I have to, I have to have a conversation with her husband because I have two episodes with her in it that are supposed to air this month. And I'm just, uh, well, I'm going to pull them until, sure. I, until I get his. Okay. I mean, yeah. she obviously, it, obviously I could air them, but what is the right thing to do? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's kind of up to, to him and to you. I mean, it's your content and it's his, you know, it's, it's his and the families obviously say so. So if they say, no, we want her words to be heard, then, you know, I'm not telling you what to do, but I, I would think that if the they best say way do to, it, I'm doing it. Sure. If they say, yeah, I mean, to, if they say they don't care one way or the other, I'm probably going to do it. And if they say, no, I'm going to tape them. I'm going to, I'm going to keep the recordings and give them a copy um, for, so that they can listen to what she had to say. Sure. Um, and I'll keep it for someday because it's someday I guarantee you that will change in their heart. Sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I, I, I think, you know, the best way to, in my opinion, the best way to memorialize someone or to remember them is to, you know, what better way than to hear what they have to say in their own words, you know? Right. Um, so yeah. I, uh, I wish you all the best with that. And, um, I wish you all the best with that phone call. Cause I'm sure it will be difficult. I'm not even looking forward to it, but 
Hey, find a couple guys, get some contact for me. You know, my taping schedule and, um, it would be great to do it on a Monday if that works out for you. Yep. Mondays are usually good because we're either, uh, yeah, Mondays are, Mondays are typically the best unless there's something unforeseen, um, because we're either just getting home from a race and basically spent the day getting cleaned up today. And, um, this week's a little different because I had to move my life from, uh, South Florida at Walker's place. And now I'm at Caleb Russell's place in North Carolina for the next three weeks. But, um, normally Mondays are pretty easy. So, um, yeah, uh, I'll, uh, regardless of whether it be as part of another thing with me or by himself, which ultimately I think you definitely need to do them by himself. I, uh, Corey wanted me to tell Walker basically that his GBC deal is contingent on him calling you and getting something set up. <laughs> so yeah, he's, uh, that, so yeah. Um, so, um, and, and Walker will be happy to do it. He'll be a great interview. It's just, um, he is the most unorganized human you've ever met in your life. So, um, getting him actually, you know, basically whatever, once you guys pin a time down and I'm not asking you to play his, you know, his tutor, um, like in school, but once you guys get a date and a time pinned down, if you could just screenshot it and send it to me so I can make sure that he's remembering and, um, prepared, not that he needs to be prepared, but that he's somewhere with Wi-Fi And I don't, I know that I have seen Walker. Mm-hmm. I think I've met the only time I think I've ever met him was in Europe. Oh, really? Yep. I think that's the only time I've ever met him. And it was like a, hi, you know, brief, Hey, Hey type thing. Other than that, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with him. Yeah. Hey, He's, uh, he's a unique individual. Uh, one of my best friends and, um, consider him like a brother, but, uh, I can say this, especially after having spent the last, you know, the better part, what, uh, probably three of the last five weeks with him. Um, and normally we're together quite a bit when we're at home in Ohio, we ride together at least three to four days a week, but, um, man, I don't know that you've ever met anybody who is, he's like a parody wrapped in an enigma wrapped in an anomaly. Like, (laughs) Oh, wow. The team here at ATV talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVtalkpodcast.com. Brought to you by take two custom teams, screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. 
see you next time.